everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mandatory Music in CD, the show where three friends sit around, go through an album, track by track, reminisce about the songs that formed our lives. And so today, as I mentioned, three, we're back. The third, the third leg of our chair is back. We were really wobbly last time, Dave, but we're back. We're back. <laughs> it's good. We're happy to have him back. So um, as you can obviously read the thing, and we'll get to what the album is, but um, thank you for being here, everybody, listening to another episode of Mandatory Music and CD. Our, our goal is to try to stick on track and do one a month again. And um, And when Dave figures out a way to make all that money from podcasting, we'll do one a week. But until then, until Dave makes us rich, it's once a month. So back in his chair, Bolton's favorite son, Max Byrne. How are you? I'm great. Uh, it's great to be back with you guys doing what I love. Uh, it, it, the chair was certainly not wobbly in my absence in the last episode. If anything, it's going to wobble more. <laughs> now I'm back. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm uh, very grateful to you guys to uh, doing it without me in the last episode. It was a great episode for anyone who's not listened to it. I urge you to do so. A classic album. Uh, but yes, it's great to be uh, to be back with you to uh, discussing another great album. Yeah, or not, I, as the case may be. Or, or we'll not. find out. Oh, well, ooh. Yep. Ooh, it's a little, look at the man of mystery. And Diamond Dave Horrocks is here, the bass player's bass player, the man who picked this album because he was like, you know what I need more in my life? A bass-driven album. Dave Horrocks, how are you? I'm very good, So It's good to be back, the three of us. Like I say, it was, uh, it, it was great to discuss Appetite in the last episode. And you know what? When I was listening back, I was like, God, I was so down on most of it. And yet I get to the end and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not quite perfect is where I put it. But uh, yeah, I feel like we, we sort of missed Max, uh, you know, balancing out some of the positive and just listening to too much of me being a miserable bastard. You still loved it. Listen, you were just being, you were being a critic. That's all. I mean, that's the joy of the show. I thought I listened back to you and I was like, man, that was fun because this has just been such a good thing. And I do think this album um, that we'll, I'll get to in just a second to give it. I mean, again, you guys can read, you know what we're doing. Um, but this album in particular, I do think the month, um, the month format benefited this album. Um, in my opinion, I think it needed the time um, to, to ruminate. It's been a while since I, since I've listened to it. So to that end, Dave picked our choice this this month and we are doing 1989's um the third album i guess second full album third studio release from faith no more called the real thing so it was released in as i said in um, 1989 it was recorded at the end of um 88 and at the beginning of 89 it was um produced by matt wallace and here's the crazy thing about this is this, and this will obviously come up as we get into why Dave picked it. And we'll go to Max first to talk about what his his relationship is with this band and this album. But the interesting thing about this is this is one of the few bands that switched lead singers and actually became more successful after changing lead singers. And we know that that has happened sometimes. And I think one day on this show, we'll have a Van Hagar, Van Halen conversation. Um, I have hot takes. I'm sure you guys do too. But what happened is, is the, the original lead singer of Faith No More was a guy called Chuck Mosley, who's kind of, a, as, a, as Dave said, I'll use Dave's phrase, a miserable bastard, and uh, was getting on fight in fights on stage and whatever. And, you know, unlike the Black Crows in Oasis, where you're punching your brother, the other band members don't take kindly to that. So they kicked him out, hired Mike Patton, and he had, and this is true, 
20 days to write all the lyrics for this album. So he wrote all the lyrics for this album in 20 days. And he was wow. like 20 years old when he did it. So he he is got he gets credit for every lyric. There's two songs where the original songwriter um uh, or one of the co-songwriters maybe contributed a little but he is he wrote all the lyrics for this entire album. He came in and it was a fully written album. And they just had they said here's nine tracks, well 10 tracks. Uh, go write some lyrics. And so obviously there's one song that didn't get lyrics. And I'm not sure if that's why, because they're like, all right, we're out of time. That's, that's it. We're done. Um, but anyway, so that's the history of this. So Max, when you found out we were doing Faith No More's The Real Thing, were you pleased? Were you like, did you make a grumpy face? What is your history with Faith No More in general and this album in particular? Oh, yeah. It takes me back to being about 11 or 12 and really annoying my mum playing it. So when I was, yeah, about that age, my uncle, my uncle Andrew gave me this album on cassette. He's only about 11 years older than me. So, you know, a lot of similar interests. And he used back then he would sort of give me things that he didn't want albums and things mainly bands like Def Leppard and a UK band called Thunder um bit of Guns N' Roses here and there and he randomly gave me this cassette of the real thing when I was about yeah I would say about 11 years old and my overriding memory of that is just to annoy my mum every time we'd go somewhere in the car is make is put it on at the precise moment of surprise your dead place <laughs> and just and just have that <laughs> and just have that cr- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just have that cranked up. Um, and it just used to annoy the hell out of her. And, you know, when you're that age, you just find everything like that hilarious. Um, so, yeah, it does take me back to that. And it was an album that I really liked, a band that I really like, still like. Um, I was a more a fan of the album that came after this, Angel Dust, which came out in 92-ish, 92, 93, maybe. Uh, that was the real peak of my Faith No More fandom. But yeah, this album holds a very special place in my heart. Um, I don't necessarily think it's the greatest album of all time, which we'll get to, but I really do like it. And it was a, a pleasure to go back and listen to it over the past week or so, yeah. Nice, that's awesome. So Dave, this is your pick. So tell us why this was your pick. And have and I guess, so Max, you've not seen Faith No More then? Live, no, no. Because no, no. I mean, they broke up in the late 90s right, and, then and then they, they re- reformed. reformed about... 13 years ago and have toured sporadically since. They were supposed to tour the UK last year, but the whole tour got cancelled due to Mike Patton's mental health uh, issues and struggles. So that tour got shelved and to date hasn't been hasn't been um, rescheduled. So hope springs eternal. I'll, I will see them one day, hopefully. That'd be great. All right, Dave. Sorry. That'd be cool. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so I haven't seen them either, but uh, I do I have fond memories of this one. So it must have been around 1990-ish. And I just got this one from a, a mate on tape, you know, so you, you do the old tape-to-tape tape recording and what have you. And it was in that small collection, you know, with Guns N' Roses and Skid Row and, and albums like that. But I think probably more than that, like Epic, the second track on this album was just inescapable. And we were lucky enough to have an, an early satellite dish in uh, was it 89. It probably was 89. I was reminiscing with Max about the, the WWF wrestling as well. And, and <laughs> having seen some of the things there. So it must've been around 89, 90. And this was just on MTV all the time. 
And so I, I think I, I do remember thinking, oh, the outro to this is so boring. Just get on to the next song kind of thing. But um, no, I, I, and I remember listening to it a lot around that time. And I haven't really listened to, you know, gone back and listened to it that much in adulthood. I think there was... Uh, there was uh, the Angel Dust album, like Max said, after this one, I, I thought, um, was it Midlife Crisis? was yeah. an unbelievable song. Uh, it was my favorite one. That, that was the biggest single off that album. But then I think there was King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, which I quite liked as just being a, a really different type of album. But I think I've got a lot of nostalgia and love for this one as well, for just, I think, being quite, progressive and quite different from everything else kind of rock and metal around this time and uh it, it's been a bit of a surprise a, a pleasant surprise to go back and just experience this album again nice yeah no I, that checks out so i'm older than you guys um uh but same like i was in high school when this came out um as we were saying in the last episode this kind of gets released right at the end as appetite destruction is still going you know uh for two years later and so this, it was trying to elbow its way in. Um, and it was, it was the single Epic. And it actually, so From Out of Nowhere was the first single. And then Epic was released shortly thereafter. Um, and then Falling to Pieces, Surprise You're Dead and Edge of the World. But Epic kept getting re-released and then they re-released From Out of Nowhere. And so, like you said, like, I mean, Epic was inescapable. And this is definitely one of the bands. And I think it's because of Mike. Because I actually think the We Care A Lot, um, the Introduce Yourself album and the song in particular, We Care A Lot, is a banger. I fucking love We Care A Lot. I'm a big fan of yeah. that, of mm. that album um, and, and with Chuck. And I, and I, I believe they've re-recorded versions of We Care A Lot with Mike Patton because that was kind of their their biggest hit. But that uh, pre him. Um, so so I knew of them, you know, just because of MTV, because of um, 120 Minutes and Headbangers Ball. They, like Nirvana, were one of those bands that played both played both on 120 Minutes, which was the alternative show. And, and it was like Sunday at midnight, from midnight to 2 a.m. And then Headbangers Ball was on Friday nights. Uh, Ricky Rackman. And um, so they would, and I watched, <laughs> I watched, you remember Ricky Rackman, Max? I don't know who Ricky Rackman is, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that was, so, so the, they were just around, but this is definitely a band that um, owes their, their uh, skyrocketing fame to MTV. And so that was, it. you know, so I never saw them either, but I, um, I agree. I thought Angel Dust was a really good album too. Yeah. It's really good. So that maybe that will come back around on the wheel. I would say what's, what's cool about this record is, as you guys have it on cassette, I did as well. And this is such an interesting time in the universe because um, this is when cassettes and uh, were starting to outsell records by a lot and CDs were starting to be made. So Faith No More rewarded, air quotes people, for buying the cassette or the CD because the LP version is missing two songs. And I will get to that uh, when we get towards the end of this record. So we have decided, because the one we all three had was the cassette version, which is actually has two extra tracks on it. Um, so we are doing the 11 song album instead of the nine song album so um so that that is so it's just an interesting time in the world where um they were like oh we can get it fit more shit on here than we could on a record and i i, I submit <laughs> i mean it would have only been 54 minutes they probably could have got those two songs on the record mm. but i'm sure it was a way to try to boost those sales of the other 
thing because that's just kind of, you know, record companies, they don't care about what sound quality is or anything. They're like, what will sell more shit? And, <laughs> and it, would, it will be this. So, um, so just before yeah. we get into the album, you just got me thinking there. So bands which are more successful with a replacement singer. So probably that come to mind, would you say ACDC maybe? Definitely. Uh, 100%. Iron Maiden. Probably. Definitely Maiden. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure there's more, but those are the two that come to mind. Black Flag. I think I th- they were. They I think it was Glenn Danzig, and then he was replaced by um, Henry Rollins. Hmm. When I say uh, okay. successful, I am talking about Black Black, Black Flag, and you yeah. should have seen their face, people. <laughs> they were like, "Who the fuck are Black Flag? I don't even know who that is." Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's that'll be it. You know, and I don't necessarily know. I mean, they, Van Halen sold more albums with Sammy. Sold more volume with Sammy than they did with Dave, mm. but they recorded more with Dave. Mm. Yeah. But those three, the big, those, those, the first three that Sammy did were like platinum, platinum, platinum. I mean, Diver Down is still my favorite Van Halen album, but like eight people bought that. Right. I mean, <laughs> so, so um, but that's another, that's for a different time, but no, that's interesting. That's a good, those are good shout outs, mm. Dave. Um, Genesis. Genesis. Oh yeah. Went much bigger when Phil Collins got off the drum kit and sang, but yeah. that was in it. They they were a prog band before and went total pop after that, so they were always going to get bigger, I suppose. They yeah, mad stuff before Phil Collins got on the front of the mic, didn't they? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter Gabriel, as his as his breakout solo album, so is about his talk about a mental health crisis. That album is that. Just he recorded it for us. Um, so I understand, uh, but th- I love that album actually. So yeah, no, that's, that's, please add us people. Tell us, what do you think? I do think they're a better band with Mike than with, with Chuck, this band here, but, uh, um, but we all know that, uh, no, you can go back and listen to our love of extreme, but Van Halen was not a better band with Gary as the singer than mm-hmm. they were with Sammy mm-hmm. or Dave. So you know, they're one of the few bands that went through three. <laughs> So, all right. Well, that's good. Thank you for that, Dave. So here we go. Faith No More. Um, So we are going to get going. um, Track one. So as I mentioned, all songs, all lyrics were written by um, Mike Patton in just a short amount of time, which is totally banana pants crazy. And I'll give you the lineup. So on drums is Mike Borden. On keyboards is Roddy Bottom, which is a great name. Bill Gould on bass. James Martin on guitar. Interesting thing about James Martin and that song, um, Surprise You're Dead, Max. Uh, he wrote that like in the 70s, that he'd been sitting on that song for years before it finally got recorded. So oh, wow. that'll be an interesting piece. So um, they, they have said this band, this particular collection, these five guys, is that you have two punk players, a drummer who'd rather be doing Tibetan monk music and a metal guitarist. With a with a lead singer who is pretty much unclassifiable, so that is classifiable. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he his voice range does. They said they picked him over Chris Car- Cornell um, for this band, Chris Cor- because Mike Patton has a six octave range. He's unbelievable. We'll he, get into we will. Uh, yeah, for sure. So that's the, that's our track. So. Uh, track one from Out of Nowhere, lyrics by Pat and music by Golden Bottom, 322. It's a driver, for sure. And if you guys can't see, but Max is totally banging his head. So Max, 
Bang your head. Tell us about this from out of nowhere. Did this come first time you heard it from out of nowhere? Just your uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, it's a great album opener, isn't it? It's like it's just instant out of the traps. There's no slow build up. There's no melodic slow intro. It's just straight in there. Instant beginning. Great bass line at the start over a fast riff. And what really sets it apart as well, and what sets the band apart from bands at the at the time and a lot of metal bands, is the use of the keyboards over the top. A lot of you know keyboards tend to be more in like prog metal bands and things like that, or like latter day Iron Maiden when they're trying to be epic and you know singing about swords and sorcery. But Faith No More had keyboards. It just gives the all the songs, in particular this one, that keyboard over the start, that, that repeating keyboard riff i don't know what you'd call it just gives that song a little bit extra and sets it apart and gives you just something else to listen to other than just the the riff and the and the rhythm section um the lyrics are great as well they're, they're almost a little romantic in a way the lyrics when you listen to them it's a fast and furious three minute punk metal song but then the lyrics when you read them they're quite romantic in a way it's describing like love at first sight or, or words to that effect um and the vocals are amazing i mean god you guys have already said mike Patton is just i think he is one of and still is one of the greatest vocalists in rock in metal in whatever genre you want to come up with because i think he's probably sang every genre and so of the band that's what makes them so good as well they can do any genre you care to mention um and it's just a really good way to kick the album off it's just grabs you by the balls and and you know makes you listen and everything's there the production's really tight as well the band are really firing on all cylinders it's great i absolutely love it david yeah i think we said last month that welcome to the jungle is probably the perfect opener but this is pretty close to it because it just in terms of an upbeat you know, uh, getting you into the mood of, of listening to this album. This is the perfect song. And what I like about this band, and especially going back to this time, is you can pick out every instrument and something interesting. As Max said there, I mean, I, I'm a classic rock guy in terms of I want two guitarists, I want a rhythm guitarist, a lead guitarist, I want a bass, a drums, and a lead singer. Um, you know, and other things are imperfect variants of that. But you've got to say that the keyboards absolutely do add a lot to this as well. Like, it's clever how uh, they're not just all following the same thing. They're not doing the same thing. And, and if you stop and listen to it, like say you can pick out the individual uh, riffs that each instrument uh, are working on. But um then you get that, you know, driving intro. And then when Patton's vocals come in, I mean, he is peerless, isn't he? We could argue mm -hmm. about, you know, Freddie Mercury might be the greatest vocalist or whatever, but the the Patton's vocals are just so distinctive and he, he doesn't go for the obvious. He doesn't go for something that necessarily shows off you know, whereas someone like uh, Freddie, you know, he, he's doing the operatic stuff and you're just like, wow, that is amazing. But everything Patton does just really seems to fit with the music, but it's not obvious at all. You know, uh, I love Ozzy as well, but, you know, a lot of his melodies were, were just following the guitar riff. And so, yeah, I think this um, it's not my favorite song off the album, but I couldn't think of a better opener than this one. I totally agree. I think, and I think what's great about it too is that now, you know, like 
they already made a band called, an album called Introduce Yourself. They could have actually called this one Reintroduce Yourself, which I think would have yeah. been probably picked pissed Chuck off. But that's what I feel this song is. It's like they're saying, look, we're still Faith No More, but we've got this other guy. He does something completely different than what Chuck does. Chuck went on to sing in Bad Brains. I mean, he's a punk, you know, he's a punk singer. Like this, the, the hiring of Patton moved them away from just being a straight punk band, which I'm okay with. But I mean, you know, I like the punk stuff too. But um, I think too, because I think the song lyrics are smart and that they called it that he wrote from out of nowhere. I think it's also a comment about him showing up and being like, hey, here we are. So I, I agree. It's a great way to introduce this album, but I think it's a great way to introduce people to him. And they did release this first. The first three songs on this are the first three singles. Back when cassettes were things, that started happening. The ordering of the album. I do think this album could be reordered. I know we did that once before. Um, I think this album could have could have benefited from that. If I were producing, I would uh, do that. But um, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's a great opener. Um, and now the hit, the song that no one get away with. The song that is epic. The song that is everything. The song that made PETA get really, really angry. If you've seen the video, <laughs> you know I know it's true. Max, did you know that? It's totally true. No. Um, yeah, because the video has a fish gasping for water. So this is when I feel they were like, we dare you to classify us as a band. Are we at metal? Are we alternative? Are we funk? Are we whatever? To me, Faith No More is an alternative band because they are doing something different. The word alternative to me isn't Matchbox 20, isn't Nickelback, it's this. Do you know what I mean? Like those bands yeah. got labeled alternative, but this there's nobody doing anything like this. Dave, epic. Come on. Uh, the biggest crime against alternative is spin doctors i'm sure but um <laughs> I, they are not alternative in any way oh, they are not? like oh, just right. a jam what... band who had a pop <laughs> i know no i mean it's amazing and we were speaking about um something like sweet child of mine and and you know some people might think that's overplayed and if you can level that criticism at that song you can absolutely level it at this one as well but you know what like sweet child of mine i can just never get bored of epic at all when it starts it's just great and it, we were talking about the keyboards and that really does add that that intro because that's the the high-end melody that that you're hearing and actually the the bass is just twatting away at the at the same note but you can really hear you know what i think I, I was thinking about this before when i was i was giving getting one last album run through listening and there's a lot of similarities between this bass player i think and geezer butler from black sabbath the the way he's playing with the pick you can hear he, he's got the high end kind of turned right up as well so you can really hear when he when he really strikes down on the strings and he's bending the strings and everything and i i just think again it's for such a simple bass uh riff at, at the start there and then when everything drops out he's still playing the same but what's changes changing is you've got no guitar you've got no keyboards and you've just got the bass drums and pattern and I just think it just sounds so good. And I, it still boggles my mind, actually, to think this was 1989 when this came out. This, If, if you'd never heard this, it would feel contemporary now. You know, it, it, it's almost timeless, isn't it? It doesn't fit, I wouldn't say, in the 80s. It, it does because you've heard it a million times. But 
I think stylistically, I think it's still fresh for me. There's, there's no one really copying this this style and making it feel dated or anything. And yeah, I, I, it's a shame about the fish at the end. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, and, and I think when I was a kid, I, I mentioned when it got to the bit on this bit on MTV, I'm just like, what? why are you doing that? But again, I now getting a bit older and grislier, I I kind of appreciate the the more uh, experimental nature to it. I mean, you could say, well, it's kind of a copy from Layla, maybe you know, uh, Derek and the Dominoes. But um, no, I, I just think it's a great song, almost perfect song for me. Yeah, I I mean, uh, say all the things Dave said. Um, it's just. I- it is, I just can't imagine, again, having liked the other band, I'm going to quit talking about Chuck, but I just can't imagine they could have done this song. Even musically, like, they wrote this music, this was already written with him supposed to write the lyrics. And I just think it's different, he just couldn't do the thing. Like you mentioned, Max, the keyboards, let's talk about them here. They're on full display here. They get their time to shine at the, you know, at the end, they, 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 they change the tone and you're the prog guy here. And I think this will come up. I've got some questions for you as we go through this album, but like, you're, you've said before you like it when you need like an abacus to figure out the time signature and all mm. of their albums just all of their songs change and they're like three songs in there and this is only you know 454 but there's like three different things in here and yet they they match up beautifully tell me explain it to me the dum dum I just think it's, it encapsulates the band in a song. Sometimes, you know, you think about a band, you can go to a certain song is the one you'd put on the shelf as, you know, if an alien came to Earth and wanted to know about that band, you'd play them that song. This is probably that because it, it just has a bit of everything that you'd expect from the band. They're such a diverse band. It's got metal in it. It's got rap in it. It's got funk in it. It's got beautiful melody. It's got this wonderful piano outro. It's got a really elongated guitar section in the middle, really melodic bit. It sounds a bit, um, I don't know, it sounds a bit like something from the 70s, a bit Tony Iommi-esque. Um, and it just has all the elements that you would expect from Faith No More in one song. I completely agree with Dave that it has been overplayed. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been listening to it for 30-odd years, so I think I've heard it enough now, but it doesn't detract from the fact that it's a great song. You know, Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the great songs ever written but I find it hard to listen to because I've been listening to it all my life and it's overplayed, but it doesn't detract from how great the song is. And this is a bit the same on a, albeit on a slightly smaller scale, the production as well is so good. I mean, the production on the whole album is fantastic. It sounds like it was recorded yesterday. It doesn't sound like an album recorded in the late 1980s, like a lot of metal albums from that period really are time stamped with the product, with the style of the production from there, you know, um, I don't think Michael Wagoner is involved in this, is he? Our, our old friend Michael Wagoner. He is not. But, uh, <laughs> he isn't. No. But they uh, had a picture not... of him up in the studio. They're like, "Listen, Wagner, we got you." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the, the, the production on this from Matt, uh, yeah Matt Wallace is just phenomenal. It sounds crystal clear, and you can hear every instrument, and the vocals can just breathe and soar. Yeah, it's a great song. I mean, this is the song that put the album over the top as well. It was the album didn't even get into the top Billboard top 200 for several months after it was released until this single. This is the one that really put them over the top and became a, you know, a major league band. So they owe their career to this song, I guess. But um yeah, it it is superb. It's it's one of those even if you don't 
know the band particularly well, chances are you'll know this song, won't you? 100%. And it was what I love about it is it was written by all five of them. So their biggest yeah. hit is a is a band. And, and Dave and I talked about this last month with, you know, the, the Guns N' Roses wrote every song together. Every song. Now, not every song in here, all five of them get credit, but their biggest hit. There's only two songs on the album that all five of them get credit for. Um, it's this one and um, Zombie Eaters. And so, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess if you have to be defined, I mean, you know, if, if you would say, are they a one hit wonder? Probably people didn't continue to listen to them. Although this isn't even my favorite song. I think this is, this is an iconic song. But it's not my favorite song on the album um it's, it's so good though and um but i mean i all we can do is just wax poetic about how great epic is people epic but my favorite song coming in next falling to pieces 515 written by um four of the members of the band gold bottom martin and Patton. uh listen to that i love this song so much like i wore this out this was i had it on cassette it's like back it up. I there this lyrically it's my favorite song, and I know like the real thing is obviously much more lyrically complex um, than this one. But I, I don't know that with the 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 chorus of this, the pre-chorus, which I guess and is as maybe a bridge, and then when you get into the chorus, I just love it. I just think this is his opera. This is his operatic song. Um, I just, I listened to this over and over and over. And it was just such a joy surprise when I got the album. And like this song came on right after Epic 2. It's tough to follow up Epic. And I was like, these first three songs I do think are in the perfect order. And then it's after this that I think maybe things needed to change around. So what do you think of Falling to Pieces, Dave? I really enjoy it. And I was saying about the geezer butler style bass i mean it, it you can hear it there can't you and i love the fact that you can almost feel it you can feel the vibrations on the bass you know it, it's not he's not trying to get a perfect deep booming type bass bass like say you can hear that top end you can hear the rattle but then you know you get the keyboards coming in again and and honestly Going back to this album and thinking about it more critically, I, I don't think I ever really appreciated how prominent the keyboards were. You know, it's only when you stop to think about it, you you kind of realize it. But um, but then I, I like the guitar as well. The, the guitar is not obvious when it gets into the uh, into the verse. And of course, I, I don't think this is Patton's biggest showcase song. Um, but again, it, it it's just... I wouldn't say I probably don't enjoy it quite as much as you. For me, it drops down a little bit from Epic. Uh, but again, just a, a really solid song that showcases all the band, really. Yeah, I yeah, I, I agree. I hear what you're saying. I mean, but for, like I said, it just there's something about the lyrics and the way that he does it that just gets me. And going back and listening and listening, I was like, I would be like, it's hard to not just hit repeat. I'm like, nope, I got to listen through. I got to trust the exercise. But later tonight, <laughs> I'll just listen to this on repeat. Max Byrne, are you falling to pieces? Um, I think it's a fantastic song. It really is. It, it's kind of like the opposite of what I was saying about the first track, where that's like heavy instrumentation with quite nice lyrics. And this is the complete opposite. It's quite poppy music. The band have a, like for an alternative metal, whatever you want to call them, band. Faith and Mar have a really good sort of pop ear. 
they can really write music that is has this song like this song has a real sing-along quality to it it's it is like a three what is it three minutes or five, five minutes sorry. it's five fifteen wow. it or not, but it doesn't no, feel no. like it it moves no. fast yeah that really surprises me actually because it does feel like a three minute pop song but then like you said the lyrics are very dark they're about sort of i mean they are literally about falling to pieces and inner turmoil and inner struggles but yet this song is just something you can sort of bounce to and really enjoy it's it's upbeat in a way um the chorus is quite sing-along in parts as well it's a really accessible song um and it's great i don't know how anyone couldn't like this song it's just one of those you can just instantly bang your head and tap your foot to and just really get into i think it's i think the first i think the first half of this album every song is i think i think it made a slight floor of front loading all the best stuff onto the first half of the album I mean, obviously, we'll get to what you guys think about the second half of the album, but my own opinion is all the best stuff is like the first five or six songs, and then things go a bit less... Wibbly-wobbly, less, uh, maybe? We'll say. Yeah, a bit... A, a bit <laughs> like, the quality tends to dip a bit, I think, in the second half of the album. But yeah, these first few songs, all top tier, and this is no exception for sure. Yeah, I think, and I think I love that, you know, and it's one of the things um, I like about the Smiths, which I know that's not everybody's favorite band, and I'm okay, I'm here to defend them, is that Johnny Marr wrote these that he has an ear for pop songs, right? And he would wrote these yeah. amazing songs that that he could that you could play piano over and you know he wrote to the band. He knew who his band was and he wrote for them. And then, you know, Morrissey comes in and is all maudlin and sad and shit. And then those lyrics <laughs> over the top of this stuff. And I just think I, I do that's such a great point, Max. And I think maybe that's what I love about Fallen to Peace. But I just really love that song. So we're we're gonna we're going to go to the next song, which is the shortest on the album. It's written by Jim Martin and then lyrics by Martin and Pat. And this is the only one that Martin wrote by himself. And this is one he wrote before he was ever in this band. It was He wrote it 25 years before they recorded it. And I'm going to come to Max first, just because of the story you let us off with. Surprise your dad. 227. I mean, just listen to that. If that doesn't make you want to just, you know, thrash... I don't know what will. If you, you have to be sort of an inhuman monster not to just really get off on this song and the sheer aggression of it. And it's just a real nasty song as well. I mean, here we go. Surprise, you're dead. And then the, the laugh that comes after. <laughs> like, you're dead. Ha <laughs> ha, you know. Um, I mean, it's, the lyrics, I don't know whether it's supposed to be like a vampire song or something like that. I, you know, there's a, a lyric there. The hatred I bestowed upon your neck with a fatal blow from my teeth and my tongue. I've drank and swallowed, but it's just begun. Now you are mine. So I'm guessing it's like a some kind of vampire kind of thing or a satanic thing. Um, but yeah, it's pure aggression. Um, there's no fat on the song whatsoever. Like you said, it's two and a half minutes or not even not even quite two and a half minutes just brilliant stuff i just i love everything about it like i said i used to love annoying my mum 30 something years ago with it and she had to grin and bear it and probably hated every second of it probably still does i might play it next time i go and see her i think you we'll should see i tell you, think you should. yeah 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 so, so dave let me tell you this little nugget that i didn't share i should have the band he was in was called agents of misfortune and the um one of his bandmates was cliff burton does that surprise oh, you? Oh wow! That he wrote this song with Cliff Burton. I, I mean, that is—I uh, am surprised, but then I probably shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, for me, they—I I fucking love this song. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. But I, I remember the first time of hearing it, and it's just like, what is this? Because everything that comes 
comes before it is kind of all right, it's heavy, it's kind of metal, but it's on the poppier side of metal. And then you just get this thrash song, and it's just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, but yeah, as the opening title suggests, but I, I just didn't they play this in Gremlins 2 or something like that? I'm, I'm <laughs> sure this was uh, in Gremlins 2. But yeah, yes, I just think it's amazing. It was, it yeah, was you're right. Yeah. I watched Gremlins two weeks ago and I remember saying, Sir, Did you? that's faith no more. <laughs> you're right. Yes. But um <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I still I'd love to see what the thinking was. And and we were saying before about, you know, our, our opinion of record producers is pretty low, isn't it? Or not not the engineers and whatever, those guys have craft, but the the people the money men, they they just want to make a buck. And you can just imagine, you know, them listening through this album and they're just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this isn't pop. They're not going to play this on the radio. But, you know, they, they've kind of stuck to their guns. So I like this as kind of that outlier, which is heavy as fuck. Talk about not out staying your welcome. You know, I, I listen to this back to back quite easily. And um yeah, as Max said, I, I have no idea what it's really about, but you know, it's it's just the the music is heavy, but again, the the pattern delivery. I mean, you think how how the hell did he deliver this night after night? You know, if he's singing this, I guess that's kind of why they had to make it short. But yeah, no, I'd love this one, and um, yeah, cracking, cracking song. Yeah, what do you make of that, Max? I should have told you that too that he wrote it. With Cliff in mind, he wrote it in a band with Cliff. I mean, they obviously didn't record it, but obviously he's writing. You write to who your band is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. You can imagine Cliff Burton giving it the old, you know, the old head bang to this. It's it is it is thrash metal for you know want of a better word. So it 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 perfectly um, does sort of jibe with that. Funnily enough, I, I was just quickly looking up Jim Martin because he's, he fell off the radar big time in the last few years because he, he he left the band after Angel Dust and hasn't been involved with them since. And I've read now that he's more famous now for his non-musical endeavours and he, apparently he's a championship pumpkin grower now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you could have given me a million guesses <laughs> as, as to what would he move into next. <laughs> never. Yeah. Pumpkin farming. Yeah, I just... I, I know, yeah. I did wonder what had happened to him actually, because he was such a like his, his physical appearance with the hair and the the, the funny shaped glasses, the massive beard. Yeah, he yeah. sort of had the he sort of had the biggest image. I mean, I don't know if you remember, he even crops up at the start of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey as well. He crops up at the start of that, playing right. himself. Um, and he, yeah, he just kind of vanished from public life. But yeah, I guess when you you know you're a, a champion pumpkin grower, you don't need to. And he's not that much older <laughs> than the rest of them. That's the crazy thing. It's not like he mm. was, you know, like you think, oh, he wrote a song. He wrote this in the seventies. He's only like, you know, seven, eight years older than than Patton. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like he was just mm. a grizzled old man. They brought him in. Yeah. That yeah. Is, but you know, again, as Dave just said, I mean, we don't we like the producers, the 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 technicians who make good music, but then the you know, the A&R guys, the people who are telling you what to do. And this song did get released, believe it or not. Surprise Your Dead did get released as a single, but I've never heard that on the radio. So the fact that they even tried <laughs> is pretty ballsy. <laughs> no, I listened to the radio. You know what I mean? Like, I listened back then, so crazy bananas. But, yeah, I don't blame them. I mean, and Patton, still to this day, has nothing but disdain for, um, you know, record companies. Uh, and he's become quite a producer in his own right. Um, just trying to get other music made and 
he's one of those guys you feel like he's probably on the spectrum and he just can't help like him and Lindsey Buckingham, you know, you just, you can't help but make music all day long and whether people are listening or not, you got to make it. So, all right. Well, we reached the (laughs) halfway point of the album version with the, um, I think the only song that can come after Surprise You're Dead name wise. Uh, This one is written by the whole band just on just a under six minutes zombie eaters. What do you, Max, frog me up on this. Okay, this is eight songs in six minutes. Yeah. My favorite part of the song is the last minute. <laughs> I love it's, that. Tell yeah, me that. I do. I do like this song. Yeah, I think I think at least the first half is a nice change of pace from, you know, you've had four heavy, quite fast paced songs. At least the first section of it, at least, is very melodic and quite soulful as well. It just, again, it just shows that the the versatility of his range now he can deliver a song that he can sing like a, he could sing like a death metal singer one minute and then he can sing this and sound like a, a soul singer it's amazing his voice can literally do anything and then you get that you know, so you get that melodic and soulful section and then sort of all hell breaks loose halfway through and you get these fucking weird lyrics about being a baby and stuff I, well you know i don't quite know what that's about um <sighs> Yes, it's six minutes long, but I think the song might be a touch over long. I, I don't know if there's enough enough going on in there that warrants it to be six minutes long, but it's still full of character. Um, and then it comes sort of back full circle at the end with another melodic bit as well. Uh, again, I think this is, in, like I was saying before about the first sort of five songs or so being the best stuff on the album, I think this is as good as the other stuff on the album. I think it's a, a good song. It, again, I'm not quite sure what it's about. I don't know where the lyric zombie eaters comes from and, and what he's actually trying to say with the song about being a, a little baby and cute as sweet as candy and all the rest of it. Um, <laughs> but as uh, I think Dave alluded to a few weeks ago, there's some better lyrics coming towards the uh, towards the end of this. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it is a good song. I do enjoy it. It's um, it's it's a good one sort of sort of drift off to and then snap back awake when it all kicks off yeah it's good stuff because yeah, if it gives you a heart attack i um dave are you well, tell me about zombie eaters yeah again this is top tier for me uh you know I, again I, I don't know if objectively where it would sit but i i think this is amazing i think it was one of the first songs that i'd heard like this i mean it, it's funny what you're saying about um like writing with Cliff Burton and stuff, I almost feel like the intro to this could be Metallica. You know, that kind of, it's almost like one, isn't it? Or, or something like that. The, the Apregio sort of nice guitar, it's got a really beautiful sound, beautiful tone to it. But when it actually just, it builds up, you get that and then doom, doom, and then you've got the bass and it's got the distortion on, and it just sounds so good. And I know I, I've been, we've been talking about the bass and, I, you know, some of the bassy songs, whether I should gravitate to them more. But I think out of, well, the exception may be a paranoid. I think this album is the one that jumps out at me for the bass because just the tone of it is just what I, I love about real good rock and metal bass playing and uh yeah the the rhythm and the change in tempo and everything it, it just it just grabs me and i i just love that change and um 
again the change in vocals as well you know like i say what, what's he going on about being a little baby i think he's on the younger <laughs> side isn't he uh but i don't think he's illegally younger uh, that he's singing about um but then i i think it goes into quite a m- melodic uh portion as well like you say maybe eight songs in one but for me it's just the anticipation when it's building up to that crescendo and then just changes that's the thing that punches you in the face every time i listen to it so yeah love it yeah i i my favorite part i mean it is he is i i have some thoughts on what is happening why he's writing about a baby singing too because it's clearly the baby singing at his mother i mean clearly mm-hmm. to me yeah. anyway i i want to say clearly sorry i just that's what i think in my brain i've having spent a month listening to it this song um, benefited from the months, I think, in my in my good opinion. I do love that, like, with a minute to go, there's just like that. Da-da-da. like, And then it's like, ha, just for 30 seconds, we're just doing that. But, um, but again, it's also like a relationship of a kid with its mom. Again, I don't get the title at all. I'm st- I've struggled with the title, but I do like the idea of it being like, you know, kids, they, they, they take and take and take, especially when they're babies, like, that's what they are. They're literally there to, they're parasitic on uh, their mother. That is literally what they do. And it's just an interesting idea uh, to write a song from that perspective. And, and I, I don't know. And, and, you know, having a kid's hard. We all have them. We know like it's up full of ups and downs. And sometimes they're being yeah. headbangy assholes. And sometimes they're just lovely <laughs> and they're making you feel great. You know, so it's like this song is quite an adventure. Um, yeah, I don't I agree. I don't know if it needed to be all six minutes, um, but, you know, it. Yeah, speaking of a song that we don't know how long it needs to be or how long it is, um, or what is it? This is the answer to Epic. Uh, what is it? It's the real thing. It is eight minutes long. Um, it is written by Gold, Bottom, and Patton. 813. Uh, Dave, this is the title track. You're muted, Dave. Idea. <laughs> so I can agree that this one is too long for me. I do enjoy it. I, I, and again, I love this album. And, and honestly, going back to it, I, I've forgotten how much I loved it. And, and this month has been great. I've listened to this to death. I like how it starts off. You know, the the drums very interesting. Um, and I like how the you know you're getting the the distorted bass kind of coming in there it's just feeding back and everything and now i do like the chorus i think it uh you know it's kind of sing-alongy as well but i have no idea why they needed to make this song as long as it is (laughs) so i i can kind of um I can't really argue against Max's comment that they front-loaded all of the best songs at the, at the start there. Um, I still enjoy this song, but yeah, definitely not one of my favorites. Yeah, Max, 813. is the, My question is, for both of you, but I'll ask Max first, is there a good four-minute song in here? Yeah, do you know what? That's you psychic Tony, because that's exactly what I wrote down when I was listening to it here. I put it could have been 50% shorter and would have been much better. Um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's just, it's meandering this song, you know, it really needs tightening up. It just, it doesn't really go anywhere as such. If, like you said, if they'd have chopped half off 
and really knuckled down and really tightened it up and focused on what they were doing here, it would have been probably as good as the other stuff that we've had up to this point. It's quite odd for the title track of an album to be the least effective song, but it's all subjective. But in my humble opinion, that's the case. Uh, it's not a bad song per se, but it just doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't warrant eight minutes. There's not enough musical events in the song to justify eight minutes you know and there's that weird sound effect at the end as well just when you think the song's over it stops and then just comes back in with like a, a really weird i don't even know what it is um at the end just when you thought you've had enough um but yeah it, it's not one i could listen to through choice and go oh, oh i really want to listen to faith more what shall i listen to you know oh i know let's listen to the real thing what a song no <laughs> it just says <laughs> ending 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 over and over at the end ending i know yeah. yes i know mike please yeah um what do you yeah, think dave it's... is there is there a four minute song in there do you agree i think so i it feels like this is a song that's jammed out and really needed a, a producer's attention on it more this was like a live just... one of those when, when you're live and you're like let's take the song and we'll fuck around with it and we'll slow it up or speed it down and do something unique yeah. for the live performance but they're like let's put that on the album yeah yeah and, okay. and, you know you could kind of go around the band and they could showcase their little bit and stuff so there's enough space in it for that and interestingly we'll get into another song that i think uh would be great you know stoned out your mind at wood woodstock or something uh <laughs> <laughs> wonder which one that's gonna be mm. yeah but um yeah i i think three or four minutes for the real thing that that would be a nice tight song and and yeah it's just not it needed something doing to it produced a little bit better i think this one yeah yeah and you know i mean you're not it's their art they can do whatever they want this is their title track whatever but wow um, yeah, not my favorite either. And it's not, you know, and I do think it's like zombie eaters could have maybe stolen a couple of like, that was interesting. Like that. It just, it, it just wasn't interesting. It's just, it's too bad. It's, it's interesting that you make that comparison because I, I guess it is almost like a, a diluted zombie eaters, isn't it? It, it starts mm -hmm. off with that kind of chilled out. You're almost thinking, you know, you could be in a jazz bar or something and that, that drum could start off, you know, the the way it does start off. And then when it goes into the verse, it goes kind of heavy. So it changes uh, rhythm again, but it's just not a patch on zombie eaters for me. Yeah, no, not, not at all. Not even close. All right. Up next, as we're cruising right along, is Underwater Love, written by Mike Goldenbottom again, 351. It is clearly a love letter to falling to pieces with the beginning. Um, but that's okay. I, I don't know. There's something about it that makes me like be like, I kind of like falling to pieces better, but I don't dislike this. Mm -hmm. Like if I heard just Underwater Love, I didn't know falling to pieces existed, but I don't like that song. I'm like, well... It's borrowing so heavily, falling to pieces. Like, do I need underwater love? I'm, I'm not. It's not like the band Jesus and Mary Chain. I don't know if you guys know them, but like every Jesus and Mary Chain wrote yeah. one really good song, and all the songs sound like that, which is okay because it's one really good song. Um, that's what this kind of feels like, and so because I think falling to pieces lyrically is better too than the morning after uh, than um, underwater love. I don't know. Max, talk me out of it. Talk me into it. What do you think? 
And I'm not disagreeing with any of it, Tony. Oh, okay. I completely, I completely agree. I think it's just this song is just kind of standard funk rock or funk metal. I like the slap bass in it, and I really like the sort of Hammond organ sound right at the start of the song because it's a different sort of keyboard sound from what Roddy's been playing through most of the rest of the album. So that's quite good. But the the song isn't amazing. It, again, it doesn't hit the heights of the stuff at the start of the album. It's it's a classic album track, isn't it? You know, it's I wouldn't be so discourteous as to describe it as filler, but it's not far off. I think it's just one of those songs where they had and it goes on the album, but it's not one I can imagine that gets revisited a lot, you know, in the live show. I could be wrong, but I can't imagine it's one that gets a lot of, you know, love nowadays. It's it's quite it's just kind of throwaway, quite stock stuff. That's all that's all I can say about it really. Dave, what say you? You know what? I'm a bit of a sucker for some slap bass and some metal. <laughs> so I, I can appreciate that it's pro- objectively, it's probably not a great song, but I fucking love that slap bass, man. And, I, you know, it's funny. I, I recorded a song with uh, Delaney and... and I, I, they they they'd already recorded it before, and it was really quite heavily indie. And I was listening to a lot of Chili Peppers at the time, and I just put a bit of slap bass on it, and or not so much slap actually, just really funky bass. And um, I listened back to it like uh, about six months later, and I was just like, that sounds like someone desperate to play some funk on a on a song that was not funk. And so yeah, I was like, oh, it wasn't very good, but um. No, I think this one's great. I, I just love the tone of his bass and everything, and and everything else for me is just uh, is just there. <laughs> you know, the vocals, <laughs> the guitar, the the uh, keyboard, it's all there to support that slap bass. So yeah, I, I do really like this song, but I I do have to put out there my weakness. <laughs> that's totally fair. I like though that is like that's that sounds like somebody who wanted to play some funk. I think that's great. And I feel like um, that is what is going to be said, you know, when when the when Stevie Wonder finally passes, that will be written on his tombstone. This is a man who wanted to play some funk. Dave Hort is going to have that as well. That's okay, Uh, You know, and it's I this is why we this is why we do it. Right. Um, I hear what you're saying. And sometimes we're not objective. Like I gave uh, some 41 uh, top of the tree, top of the tree. And objectively. It's not the greatest album of all time, but I fucking love it. So, you know, you just, it's what it is. So, all right. Well, we're moving right along. Track eight, written by everyone but the drummer, 343, The Morning After. Ah, see, this sounds to me, Max, and tell me if I'm crazy, that it's weird that the drummer wasn't one of the writers because it felt like they were listening to the police before. And they're like, what's Mm. Copeland doing on that? that offbeat shit that Copeland this feels like that I don't know what do you think am I nuts no not at all you can kind of hear it it's got that almost not reggae rhythm but that kind of rhythm that the police would love to do all through their career yeah I mean the, the, the song it kind of it kind of sounds a bit like We Care A Lot recycled ooh good um, call yeah it, you know the the riff and like the in the chorus the gang vocals you know the everyone joining in again it's again it's not a bad song it's it's probably better than a lot of other bands at the time were doing but it just it 
again, it's not hitting the heights of stuff early. I'm repeating myself, but it's not hitting the heights of the early stuff in the album. The chorus sounds quite derivative as well, but it sounds derivative of Faith No More rather than, you know, it's okay to steal off yourself, I suppose. You know, if you're stealing other band's shit, then that's a different matter. But if you're stealing your own shit, then that's fine. That's It's your call. Um, <laughs> but it just, it just, I don't know. There's, there's nothing, There's it just lacks like a bit of star quality, this song, you know. There's nothing wrong with the musicianship. There's nothing wrong with the singing. There's nothing wrong with anything, but it just lacks that bit of bit of pizzazz, that bit of you know that bit of sparkle, that bit of fairy dust, just to put it over the top. Um, so again, it's it's quite similar to the song before and the song before. It's not one that sticks in my memory and is one I want to go back to if I want to stick some of their music on. But um, again, it could be a lot worse. It's just not great if that makes sense no i agree i think this comes down to what i was saying about maybe reordering the album i agree yeah. and that because of the way that we're listening to it i feel i feel a lot of what you're saying i mean i i love the police and i feel like every time i listen to it i'm always like oh this is like uh. but um no I, I i agree and once you just said it is kind of like stealing from we care a lot that's that's a good point yeah. yes dave what say you about the morning after which is again more vampires surprise you're dead vampires morning after vampires what's up vampires <laughs> Yeah, I again, I I just feel like I am led by my love of this bass. Drums, <laughs> it's a great you know, bass. Just the yeah. way it it comes in as an intro there, and I like how I like songs that layer. You know, it comes in with one instrument, whatever that instrument is, and then you can hear everything else add into it. And then, uh, like you say, it's almost like a, a, a it is a bit of a diluted Faith No More song, isn't it? But it's un. Yeah. It's unrecognizable as anything else other than Faith No More, and I love it for that. And I actually think Patton's vocals are, are pretty impressive. Again, he, he just doesn't go for the obvious kind of melodies. It's not really one that you can sing along to, At but all. you know, maybe hum a little bit. You know, I, I do. I, I quite like this one. I don't. I'm not quite as down on it, but I think it definitely deserves its place on this album. And it would be, you know, one of the ones that you will put as close to filler. You know, it's it's not a, a as Max said, you know, you're not going to think, oh, if if I've got five <laughs> Faith No More songs to listen to, this wouldn't be on that list. But you know, I I think I like it on this album. That's totally fair. No, I think that's fair. I and and yeah, I hear that. I just I really do love that intro. I do think it it, it uh. It loses its way a little bit, but again, Patton's voice is, is it's is the sixth or is the fifth instrument of this band, and it's so he's just really good, even when he's just singing nonsense. You're just like, all right, and some songs you don't even know what the hell he's singing, um, you know, because he's either mumbling and that's the production intentionally, or he's going so goddamn fast. You're like, what are you saying? Um, and now for the song. So let's talk about now as somebody who is a straight edge kid and who's never done an illegal drug in his life. It's fact ever, ever. Um, I feel like I don't have to because I heard Woodpecker from Mars. <laughs> wow. I listen, I'm going to tell you guys my secret. On first listen, I was like, God damn, I forgot how much this song drives me crazy. And because it, it prelude it's the you know it and the version we're listening to it it uh, precedes war pigs which of course has its own kind of musical intro and so i'll be honest and i know we're not i don't want to jump ahead just to talk about war pigs but i felt like this was just the extended intro to war pigs you know like <laughs> and i was like and then 
but listening to it over and over the month, I've grown to fucking love this song. <laughs> <laughs> so please mock me and tell me why I'm wrong. Max. I can't mock you because I love it too. It, it's got it, when you listen to that intro there, with the, the keyboard. It sounds like a. It's got an Eastern flavor, to yeah, it, isn't it? You know, one hundred percent. It really does. It sounds like a. It's like in Morocco or something like that, or India, um, with that keyboard. Uh, you can see why it's instrumental though, because where the fuck would you put the vocals in that one? Where where do you sing <laughs> in that? There's no gap anywhere. Even even the great Mike Patton would struggle to write some lyrics and come up with a vocal melody line to stick in there because it's that dense. There's no room to sing over the top of it. Um, the musicianship is very good. I mean, the, we know we, we've talked ad nauseum about Mike Patton's vocal virtuosity, but the whole band are, are great players. Really, a one tight band. Um, it, again, does it go on a bit? too much i don't know does it warrant five minutes 40 odd seconds you know as a as an instrumental piece i know there's been others that are a lot longer than this and you know can have your own opinions on that but i i don't know i don't i think it again if it had been a minute or two shorter maybe it would have been better but i do like listening to it again it's you know it's not one you can put on and relax to it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's one you've got to be you've got to be in the right kind of head you want to like you know. get up and do like a di- like i feel like if I were Jewish, I'd want this, the band to play this at my bar mitzvah. That's what I want. I want, there's like some weird, <laughs> yeah. like there's a klezmer vibe happening here. And I'm here for like, there's some punk klezmer bands that are really fun. Like, I know that sounds terrible, but I love that shit. And this one was actually written by the guitarist and the drummer. So you feel that though. You feel that this is Borden like, ha, I'm going to write my song and you guys are going to listen to it. And <laughs> right. I, he didn't give any room for any lyrics. That's totally true. Dave. No, not at all. No, go go ahead, Max. Sorry. No, I was going to say you can really tell it's written by the guitarist and the drummer because there's no melody in it. There's no nice. like, there's no song progression. It's just like avant-garde rhythms and and riffing over the top. There's no space for anyone else. But I, I do like it. It's good. It's good fun. Yeah, Dave. Again, just uh, perfect on this album. But I I almost think that. <laughs> The, the way they blend together the different styles and influences, it, it, for me, it created something fresh. And and again, there, there haven't been many bands that really have, have blended funk and rock and metal like, quite like how they have or did. Um, but this one, I think, is one of the very few songs that you could pick up and plonk in the 60s you could plonk it at the end of the 60s you can imagine being at woodstock you've dropped some acid (laughs) play this for fucking 70 minutes you know just just loop it stick it on repeat and i'll I'll listen to it and dance in the field with no shoes on or whatever i just think it's it's fantastic and you know it just again i feel like it's really brave to put something like that on an album that apart from you would say maybe surprise you're dead you know you're trying to sell it to a producer and you're like yeah yeah you you could play this on the radio and stuff well this one you really couldn't could you but it it, it's yeah it's just a lot of fun for me and like I say, I, I do like the the idea of just tripping your balls off and and reading some Doctor Strange comics and listening to Woodpecker from Mars. <laughs> and it is. They said it was inspired by Woody Woodpecker, the cartoon. And so when you th- like, I want that. I want someone to get some old Woody Woodpecker cartoons and put this as a track behind it. That's what I want. I just want like a loop of Woody Woodpecker running. It is. It is spectacular musicianship. And so th- thus ended the album. 
that was the last track on the album. But we didn't have the album. We were cassette babies. We have something to talk about that too when we get to the order. Up next, and I'm going to have Dave go first on this because he admitted something in our last episode. Obviously, well, this is War Pigs, people. This oh is the, this is the, the re- War Pigs is back. I'm the goosebumps every time. I just think it's amazing. And because I had no idea that the LP didn't have uh, this on, I, I just assumed this was, uh, you know, second from last track. I also did not know that this was a cover version. So this was the first time I'd heard this. And I was just like, oh, this is amazing. And just without even, you know, when you're a teenager, well, maybe some teenagers are political, but I I wasn't. And so I wasn't listening to the lyrics so much as just the music. And unfortunately... Uh, because I, I feel being a massive Sabbath fan, I, I feel bad saying this, but for me, this is the superior version. And I think it's less to do with the musicianship and more just the uh, the way it's recorded. You know, so you can't escape the fact that with those earlier rock and metal albums, you know, you were limited by the technology of the day. And so even when it's remastered, it's it's not quite the same. And, and I think just the the sound engineering of this I, I just gives it a much richer, fuller sound than the original. So yeah, I still I still like this as as the version for me. Max, what say you? Are you gonna have to drive down there and fight him? <laughs> no, no. no. I, think, I, I, I think it's I, obviously Warpigs is one of the all-time great metal songs. You know, we talked about it at length when we actually covered the original version on the Paranoid episode a few episodes back. And they they do it justice. I mean, it's a surprisingly faithful version of it. You know, they don't take it into some weird places or take the piss. It's a very straight-ahead, faithful version of it. Um, it maybe lacks the swing of the original a bit. It's slightly more rigid than Sabbath's version, but I think that's just due to the players rather than the the, the um, their version as such. But I, I mean, how can you not like the song? I mean, the song is is amazing, and it suits Mike Patton's delivery. Those opening, you know, generals gathered in their masses. The, his his voice, the way it can soar, it really does um, suit those. But it's quite interesting though that this song is that. The fifth and more version of the song is responsible for the massive hit they had a couple of years later with the version of Easy by the Commodores mm. because they were playing this every night on tour because when they were touring the real thing, they had this album and obviously what had come before. So they didn't have a big catalogue. So they were playing this, a lot of this album and they were playing War Pigs every night and they got a bit bored of playing it every night and the metal crowd that was coming out to see them demanding to hear it. So being the contrary guys that they were and still are, we're like, fuck you. We ain't going to play War Pigs. Here's Easy by the Commodores and you're going to like it and listen to it. And then obviously one thing leads to another and they end up recording that and it becomes their biggest hit single probably, you know, that gets played on daytime radio over here smooth radio which is like an easy listening station plays faith no more every day but it's their version of easy by the commodores obviously they're not going to play surprise you're dead you know i have rung in and asked for it but they haven't played it yet they're like who um, are you stop calling for- <laughs> god damn this guy i, yeah. I know yeah yeah um but yeah so it kind of led to that you know, sort of sliding doors moment. But yeah, it, it is a really good version. Dave's sitting there on the head. The production is, is first rate. 
it's a it's a real there's been some bad sabbath covers by various bands over the years but this ain't one of them it's really good what do you reckon tony no i agree i i, I like it and, I, and again of course you know i know the sabbath version but my favorite version of this song is cake um <laughs> there's no, there's nothing like being at a cake show and watch a cake this like weird band who's like makes weird sounds and has fucking trumpet player <laughs> and they do they, when they turn out. I mean, the crowd loses their mind. It's one of those songs like "Easy," which, by the way, the first time I heard Mike Patton sing it, I I thought this is fact. Sorry, Lionel Richie fans. I thought did Lionel Richie re-record "Easy"? That's what I thought. I was like, is he that <laughs> mad at the rest of the band that he wanted to just re-record it? Why is this <laughs> out? Like that's what I thought. That's how good Mike Patton is. He sounded yeah. like Lionel fucking Richie that much. It's that good. And then I was like, what? What is happening? But no, I mean, it's it's War Pigs. It's a brilliant, brilliantly written song. Lyrically, it is, I think, um, top of the pops as far as as far as what this what Sabbath does. And and I just don't know how do you do it poorly. There's just a handful of songs, but I do love Cake's version just because I'm a big <laughs> Cake fan. So um, now we're going to come to our final song. But before you hit play, Dave, I want to I want to see. Let's get in our memories because when I read this, I was like, son of a bitch, it's true. My brain hole. The final song was actually not the final song on the cassette version. It actually was track six. This actually came after Zombie Eaters on the version that we had. All right. This final song was actually the last song of side one of the cassette. And that War Pigs was the last song on the cassette. So Woodpecker from Mars and War Pigs blurred together, which my brain thought when I was listening back, I'm like, oh, right. So the final song is called Edge of the World. It's four minutes and 10 seconds. You wouldn't even know it's the same fucking band. The balls <laughs> of these guys. So anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know that. Does that, does that track at all that you heard this this order? Do you have your old cassette? I couldn't remember, to be honest. I, I didn't know where to place this one. Um, but that's a cracking spot. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear the beginning of Edge of the World. <laughs> so... This song, you guys. <laughs> Max is already laughing, so go ahead, Max. Just take it away, my friend. Oh dear! I mean, this song—it's kind of shades of Philip Schofield, really. It's uh, <laughs> for anyone over the other side of the pond who doesn't know Philip Schofield. You know, people in the UK will will know about Jimmy Philip Savile, Schofield. Gary Glitter, any of yeah, Rolf, Rolf Harris, <laughs> Rolf that, Harris. Kind of, that, that kind of vibe. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it sounds. Musically, it sounds like something from like a Vegas show bar or something, doesn't it? It sounds like he should be stood there with an open bow tie on, shirt open with a cigarette on the go, singing this at the end of the night or something, um, in some really dingy sort of off-strip bar or something like that. Um, I mean, it's, it's again, it, diversity, that's the name of the game with this band. They can do any music, you know, if you say to more, what style of music are you? The answer is yes, yeah. because they're... It's all the styles. They can do it all. That's what sets them apart. Um, yeah, I think the lyrics have to be tongue-in-cheek because if they're not tongue-in-cheek, then <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> what's Jesus going on Christ. there? Exactly, yeah. Um, I don't know. Otherwise, I don't know where he's, his head was at. I mean, uh, you know, he is a, 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 a weird individual at times, but, um, yeah, that kind of takes it to a whole new level. It's brilliantly creepy stuff, I'll say. It's just, again, it's not. <laughs> 
it's not their greatest song in the world, but it is uh, it is quite amusing, if nothing else. I think yeah, he's definitely. making fun of these songs. I think the lyrics mm-hmm. are so creepy as fuck. By the way, everybody, if you haven't heard the song, it's about a pedophile trying to lure <laughs> children into his van. That's what the song is, okay? But that's not good. They're not promoting that. But their argument is, I think that's like, that's who these, like, you know, these guys are. Like these old guys, they get up on stage and they're like, hey, little girl and there's that whole creepy vibe of i'm this smarmy lounge singer i'm famous whatever bang me because i'm famous and it just it's not great and maybe it's not about pedophilia but it sure feels that way dave (laughs) it's not advocating it because the guy singing's a loser i kind of i was hoping i i was i wasn't sure if it was that full-on but i thought this might be more thinking of someone like Sinatra, say. Okay. And or Leonardo DiCaprio these days. What? You know, what the so fuck? His, <laughs> okay. So his, not pedophilia, uh, but just Yeah, so not pedophilia, or... but old guy yeah. going mm. for young kind of late teenager, early twenties yeah. kind of young girl. Okay. So, so I'll, that's I'll allow that. How I was okay, that's true. It. It's just the candy line. Yeah, it's that line, isn't it? But <laughs> I, I think there's a few others, isn't there? Uh, I'm no criminal. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you gotta I, say I could... it. Well, you gotta say I'm no criminal. Yeah. So yeah, if you've got to say it, it's it's probably uh, you probably are. So I, I remember laughing at it when I was yeah. when I was a kid, you know, and and with the mates in in school and stuff, but. I don't know. I, I I just fucking love the balls of them again to just put a song like this. And I mentioned the the later album, uh, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. That's got a few more of these songs on it. Uh, Evidence, I think they did as a single, and and it's just like this. It's swing, you know. And like you say, you you could expect this at some jazz bar or something like that, and it it wouldn't be out of place. And so yeah, that, that's what made <laughs> me think of like the the Sinatra kind of parallel, but I, I'd like, I've not seen anything conclusive about whether it is a, a Phil Schofield job or whether it's just <laughs> creepy old um, uh, jazz and swings. Or, uh, I like your, I mean, I want it to be that, that it's like you're making fun of that guy who's like perpetually dating a 20 year old. Like you yeah. at some point mm-hmm. in time, you know, it's like, uh, you know, there was a, there was a, I know you mentioned DiCaprio, and we'll get to our final scores here in just a second. But I do know that like um, there was a there was a thing where they were doing with Adam Sandler movies, like the the age range between him and his female lead is like you could tell that range of how bad the movie is, like the further away he got from, you know, being having a woman who's his age in the last few movies he's made, which arguably I haven't seen everybody are like like his last one, Queen Latifah is his his love interest. Like they're the same age. That's appropriate. So you're mm. like, yes. Everybody's like, that's such a good movie. So it's like when he's got Jennifer Aniston as his love interest, it's way better than when he's got, you know, a teenager. So um, yeah. <laughs> there, we'll just say, we'll say that. But Dave, you picked a banger. So we'll have you go last. So listen, it's time for our ratings and then our big announcement for our next show. So I'll remind everybody our ratings. If you think it's the greatest album of all time, it goes to Paradise City. It takes you away to Paradise City. If you think it's pretty good, but not perfect, it hangs out with Dr. Feelgood. If you're like, well, there are some good tracks on there, but there are enough to detract. It goes to Crossroads with Bon Jovi and Ralph Macchio. If it's, (laughs) if it's, if for those, Max laughed because he gets that joke. One day we need to make Chris and Dave watch Crossroads on VHS. (laughs) 
because Chris will fucking hate it. Um, <laughs> we uh, we could do the Got soundtrack. Another, so he will another crossover. Yeah, yeah. If you think it's a Foo Fighters album, it goes to Skid Row, and if you think it's the worst album you've ever heard, it goes. Which we have yet to put anything in uh, Hotel California. You can check out anytime you'd like, but you can never leave. Obviously, not commenting on that amazing song or album, but just on the lyrics of that song. So, Max. Where do you place Faith No More's The Real Thing? For me, it's Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, I think it isn't perfect. We've, we've spoken about some songs that are not, not the best stuff, but I think especially the first half of the album elevates it to top tier, but the songs that are not quite top tier just bring it down a touch. You know, at its best, it's, it's five out of five. At its worst, it's four out of five. I think sonically... It holds up incredibly well. Like I said earlier, production on it is crystal clear and sounds contemporary. It's got moments of true inspiration. The diversity is wonderful on it, uh, but some songs are a little bit filler, but the very best does scale the height of greatness. Um, The introduction of a brilliant new singer took the band to great new heights from where they'd been before um, and set them on a, a, a strange path that they're still kind of on to this day, but what a what a unique band! What a unique lineup! What a unique singer! Yeah, fantastic album, but not quite the very best. So yeah, a very very solid Doctor Feelgood for me. Yeah, I'm going to echo everything you say. For me, it's the same. There's there's just a couple of dips. Um, the first, I would say, the first four songs mm-hmm. are perfection. That is, you're I'm in Paradise City, and then. Eh, and I, eh, you know, eh, eh. and and there's just a couple, and it's like what again? This is why taking the month is so important. If we had done this um, after a week, I think it would have been rated lower. I think Woodpecker from Mars, and it wasn't quite like I had, you know, physical graffiti Stockholm syndrome, like with that. I was like, do I love physical graffiti? No, I did not. But I definitely love Woodpecker from Mars, which I didn't at first. And so just like that was, that was very important to me. And I listened to this song, this album three times today you know, like twice in a row out on my walk run and then cleaning up and doing shit around the house. And then once the hour just before we went out and I was like, God damn that song. So Dave, you picked it. Tell us what your score is. You know what? I, I've loved this going back to this album even more than I thought I would. And uh, for me, it's a paradise city. I, I can honestly say I've enjoyed going through this one more than I did for Appetite which wow. is a complete surprise to me. I, I didn't really expect that. And I'll, I'll certainly be listening to it more frequently. I just think I, I completely get that the second half is weaker and maybe mixing up some of those filler songs might might make it flow a bit better. But um, I think the, the fact that it just has this unique sound that is unmistakably Faith No More, I just think it is it, just a great, great album. Now, I do realize I, I'm probably in the minority in saying that I prefer Real Thing to Appetite, but uh, no, that's definitely that's definitely where I sit on it. I think that's totally fair. And so Dave has his chart up, and uh, would you like to tell us where the Real Thing ranks out of our yep, 11 so... albums so far? So with a average score of 4.33, that has it sitting in third position. So top of the rankings so far, kind of uh, poetically probably, is Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Second to that is Paranoid by Black Sabbath. The Real Thing by Faith No More is coming in third. 
Um, Tied with Master of Puppets. Yes, I, I I was looking for four and couldn't see it. Master yeah. of Puppets by Metallica there. And then number five, we've got Skid Row, Skid Row. So yeah, I, I, we're building up. A, a, I mean, I can't argue with that, you know, triangulating those scores. I couldn't really argue with any of those rankings, to be honest. No, me neither. I mean, neither. And I think this is, I mean, this is the joy of it. And so, gang, listen, I'm going to keep shitting on the Foo Fighters every, every time when we do this. But as you know, <laughs> we started the show doing the wheel and we ended up with physical graffiti and the Foo Fighters and we're done with that. But Foo Fighters killed the wheel. They killed the wheel, but we had such a good time <laughs> doing the Lost Boys soundtrack. Um, <laughs> Which is rating higher than the Foo Fighters, even with Chris hating it. Um, but we decided it'd be fun to have guests. And so it made sense to us to have a non-movie crossover guest. The person who in our Discord group loves music more than us, probably as much, if not more than us, will be our guest in a month. And we let him send us. So Matthew B. Lloyd sent us a list of albums in. Um, he said it would be too hard for him to pick. Not like it'd be picking between his children. You know, he loves his children more than he loves his music for now. Um, no, that's not true. But anyway, so he gave us a list. And so we have decided, and I'm going to let Max, um, I because I've not heard this band, so I want to make sure the name of the band is sell, said correctly. We're going back to 1985. The album is called Mis Misplaced Children, and the band is called... Marillion. Marillion. Thank you. I kept, mm -hmm. I wanted, my brain wants to say that Marillion misplaced children. So in a month from now, I'm, so this I'm is sorry, be before Matthew punches through the uh, I know. His podcast catchers, mis <laughs> misplaced childhood, not misplaced children. Is that what I said? <laughs> that, oh, that shit. was edge of the world, that one. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Misplaced childhood. Wow. I'm leaving childhood. it all in. Marillion yeah. misplaced childhood. I've yeah. never heard this. I've never heard of them. Max, you have. You told me before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a concept album, this Tony, in the truest sense of the world. It's it's a a story told through music. And it's one of those that. where Yeah, you are, yeah. All the songs is like, it's it, I think it's forty odd minutes long, but every song kind of fades into like the next one. Um but yeah, it was a massive album in this country. Two massive hit singles off it that still get played on the radio now. Uh they were massive at this point. They're still pretty big now they still tour uh still tour in america as well um so yeah i do actually own a copy of this album so it will be quite interesting to go back and listen to it to dig it dig the old cd out and give nice. it a, give That's it a awesome. i was yeah, 12 it's, when it's this good came stuff out. yeah i just don't 1985 listen i was in new to new wave i was into punk and do it so i'm not i was listening to duran duran and the smiths and you know the ramones when this came out so totally different from this dave what do you know of marillion uh probably their hits i mean i i associate them more as like a pop band i guess i know they're not they're totally not but you know i would have heard these through top of the pops and stuff like that you know getting introduced by gary glitter and Ugh. jimmy savile probably um so yeah I, i've never listened to the album at all so really interested to go back to this one well that'll be great yeah, well that's right I hope we, I, we can't wait. Well, so you'll hear a fourth voice next year, Matt, next year, next month, Matthew B. Lloyd. This will be his pick. So thanks everybody for listening. It's good to have the band back together, as it were. Um, Max, we're glad you're back. Um, Dave, I know we've got a scoot. We've all got lives, lives lame. We just want to hang out and talk about music, podcasting, <laughs> the excuse adults made to talk to their friends. Listen, if you want to talk to us about stuff at 
mandatory music and CD at Gmail, mandatory music CD on Twitter. For Dave, for Max, I'm Tony. Rock on, everybody. All right.